All right, all right. Welcome. This is Orion Rising. I am your host, Leonard O'Neill. It's Friday night. No more Law of One. We finished that out, guys. So we will not be looking at the Law of One. We will be talking about Alien Interview. That's what's going to be going on these days, right? From now on. I'll explain that. Right, let me explain that real quick. Let me get this off the screen here and put uh, myself on the screen here. Let me remove this because we'll be playing the other videos soon. There I am, and I'm going to stay on the screen for you to see. Sitting in my office, right? Unfortunately, I have some underwear hanging from the background. Let me go remove that. Otherwise, I'll get yelled at from people because I have underwear hanging in the background. I forgot it was up there. But I figured I'd point that out because it was pretty obvious, right? I moved that stuff over there. I forgot to move it. I was in a hurry. Trying to get uh, everything on here, right? <laughs> Welcome, Melissa. Share this out, share this out, share this out, right? So it's Friday night, no longer the law of one. I will be doing spiritual stuff during the week, uh, probably on a, a Wednesday, it looks like. Well, I, I don't know, because you guys know I've done Monday, Wednesday. Sometimes I've done Tuesday. Uh, okay, so what is this about? All right, in 1947, we had a crash in Roswell, New Mexico. The government first said there was an alien UFO that crashed, and then they came out and quickly said, wait, no, it was a weather balloon, and that was their cover-up, and nobody bought it, and that guy had that piece of paper in his hand, and over the years, we've been able to enhance that piece of paper and translate it, and it was the orders to cover up an alien a spacecraft that crashed, right? At the time, there was a nurse, and I remember this during the investigation. I obviously wasn't around then. I'm not that old, right? Um, but I, but I was around, uh, you know, after that and, and looking into this stuff and, um, I had gotten, uh, the, the notion of the, yeah, right. The news, right. Yeah. I got the notion that there was this nurse who claimed that she had seen an alien, saw an alien, uh, and that she was actually, uh, working with the alien, uh, uh Reese, welcome everybody share this out, share this out. Uh, and they quickly did like they did to Bob Lazar. The government said, we don't know who that person is. She never worked for the military. She's never been on this military base. Yet a man who was there and a reporter and another guy who was in the military, they saw her. They saw her and one of them had a conversation with her. And she confided in him at that time that there was an alien in there that she had saw. OK. And so when he came out and tried to talk about that, he was a reporter was going to go on the air. Men in Black showed up and um, talked to him and, and convinced him not to go on air. OK, so come forward in time. That was never answered. And it's always been in the back of all of us alien hunter, UFO hunters minds. There's a loose end there. It's just the same thing as, as Bob Lazar. There was a loose end there. Well, then Bob Lazar gets his his kudos when, uh, you know, come forward to 2012 or 2015, wherever that was, when the government, uh, all of a sudden, the scientists said, we found this new particle, uh, element 116, and it's called Unu Infintium, which is exactly what he claimed that aliens had given us and that he was working on out there at Groot Lake. Okay, so he got his vindication, uh, even though the government will still won't admit any of that. He's over here now, I'll still lie, going, told you so. Uh, either he got the lucky or whatever. So the same thing happened here. I believe that it said in the beginning, this was 2007 or, or 2000 and in, uh, it must have been 2007, when she was in her 80s and uh, she was actually um, having a doctor, a sister and, and euthanize her, put her down. Uh, she's like, I'm done, I'm paying it. It was legal in the state she was in or she was over in Scotland. It was legal there, so she had that happen. But prior to that, she took all the information that she had stolen or kept about this because she always knew that somehow she wanted to maybe get it out there to the world. Well, now that I'm going to be dead, it's not going to matter. They can't take anything from me. So this guy who was doing an investigation on her, she had heard about, and she sent him everything that she had 
And if you watched last week, you saw how he's reading. He made a book about it. He's reading the book or someone's reading the book. And um, and, there, and he's talking about how he correlated everything and put it all together and went through the documents. And you get to see most of, you get to see everything that is being said. You get to see every word on the screen. So those of you who are listening on the MP3 file know that if you're watching it on the video, you would actually see top, top secret documentation, some still with redactions, most with not. Most of the stuff that is there is, is can't be corroborated, but she claims she she either recopied or stole all of that uh, from the government at the time. Okay, so she had enough information to give us the entire story of this interview, and that's what we're going to cover. Now, knowing what I've learned uh, through the course of my life about these, you know, all the different alien races that are out there and the scenarios that are presented to us, I wanted to talk about that because. She doesn't allow any cross-examination. And I'm probably going to go over this at the beginning of every show that's so people who catch this not from the very beginning actually understand what's happening. So for those of you who get annoyed because I talk too long before I get to the point, change the channel. Find somebody else who doesn't talk. Go to Jimmy Church where you have to spend 30 minutes through his commercials before he even starts talking. Once you do that, right, maybe, you, maybe you'll like that better. So for those of you who just found this, that's that's what's going on. So, uh, and I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut through because she would not allow anyone cross examination. She would not any, allow anyone to to ask her any questions. So everything was a matter of fact, and she was just spewing it out, right? So when you give somebody carte blanche to do that, they can tell you any story that they want, and they know you're not gonna try and corroborate it. So when I tell you, or when I when I play this to you, you're going to hear a bunch of crazy stuff that is probably a lot of it is true. Because even if you're trying to fool somebody, you have to tell a little truth with many lies. You have to tell enough truth so that they start to believe you. And it's very possible because I think that stuff is true that he said there. So this, the outlandish stuff doesn't sound as outlandish if you, if you throw some truth in there. Okay. So as we go, I'm going to try and unpack some of the things that she says from what I understand is going on in the universe. Now, this is my opinion. I could be wrong about all of it, right? So if it's something where you go, I don't agree with you on that, Leo, I mean, we could talk about that, but I'm not saying I'm the, the, um, the know-it-all about this stuff, but I have a good idea of what's going on in the universe. If you know me, you know that this has been my life's work, okay? I'm not just some dude who just found aliens like last month. I've been doing this since I was like five, <laughs> six, right? I mean, as much as you can as a six-year-old hunting for UFOs, right? But I've done this, right? So I'm not, I'm not just somebody just showing up and, and, and doing that. And, I, and I'm trying to point, you know, put that out there so that you don't think that I'm just some guy, right? Some schmo who gives you the authority. Well, uh, I've been doing this, I'm 53 and I've been doing this my entire life uh, after the first seven or eight years. And I created Ancient Aliens Worldwide, which is the biggest UFO hunting um, group on the planet, right? Other than actual websites, right? So that's on, on YouTube. We're almost, are on Facebook. We almost had 300,000 members in that group. There is no other UFO hunting group on Facebook in the world that is that big. Okay, so I created that, built that empire. I don't get paid for it, which I did. Zuckerberg gets all the money and he gets all advertisement and the whole shebang. We get nothing. Zero. But what I do get out of that is information out there to you guys. Same thing with what I'm doing here. Okay. So, yeah, and she was also angry. So, Melissa, you know a little bit about this. Yeah. She was also, I, I believe she was negative. I believe she was evil, referring to the, the uh, captain of the ship that survived. I believe she's working for a, uh, a group of conquerors. And we'll get into that as you start as that starts to unfold. So, Melissa, you might have a little bit more because I think you have listened to this same thing I have, right? I, I don't know if, if you have, but you sounding like you have. So let's go ahead and start. We started it and we ended it 19 minutes in 
uh, last week. So I'm going to pick up right there, okay, at 19 minutes in. I'll put it up on the screen. I'm going to shut up, and, and you guys are good to see it on the screen. So those of you who have video, you can see the actual files that he's speaking that he put to, to book, okay? Uh, so so let's go ahead. And let me put this on the screen for you. My security rating. And, and it started automatically, my... but that, I, I ruined it just a tad. Let me pull this up full screen. No, I wanted to pull you up full screen that way. Will that not go full, full screen? No, I guess it won't go full, full screen. I don't know why, but uh, usually it does. For some reason, it's not going full, full screen. So it's it, it should be good enough, right? Okay, so this is where she gets the promotion. I was given a promotion. This is what he's saying right now. I was given a promotion. This is when I'll leave it up here really quickly so I can. My duties, uh, uh, what my duty was to uh, communicate with this. This is when the alien was able to communicate with her. She told her bosses, I can communicate with her. So immediately what they did was they said, okay, you're in. They gave her a raise in pay and had her sign another uh, agreement saying that, you know, you will kill you and your family if you divulge any of this information. All right. So that's where we're at right now. And we had just ended that couple of uh, paragraphs there. So I, I reminded a few, a few seconds. So here we go. Pay grade from $54 a month to $138 per month for this very unusual assignment. I performed these duties from July 7th through August 1947, at which time the alien died or departed the body, as you will read about in my notes. Although I was never left entirely alone with the alien, as there were always military personnel, intelligence agency people, and a variety of other officials present from time to time, I did have uninterrupted access to and communication with the alien being for nearly six weeks. Here and after is an overview and summary of my personal recollections of conversations with the alien craft pilot, whom I came to know by the identity. You know, okay, I want to stop right there because Melissa had said something here that I, that I find very interesting. And, and she said, because I said, maybe you have read this too. And she said, it, it was it was just like, I know, right? Okay. I, and the reason that, I, that that's that I wanted to tell you that, that, that she said that is that originally when I watched this four hour video, I said to Mandy Wilson, who gave me this video, I said to her, I think I've read this book. I already know all of the information and I feel like I, I knew it from before. So I must have read this book early on when, back in the day, probably 20 years ago, when I was um, you know doing this alien hunting stuff and reading a bunch of uh, books about it. And then I come to find out last week that the guy who did this didn't get this information until 2007. So it didn't come out until recently. So I couldn't have read this book in the last five or 10 years because I would have actually said, yeah, I just read that book uh, 10 years ago. But the fact that I was, yeah, I wasn't even born though, right? I mean, I wasn't either in, in, in 1947. I wasn't born then either. However, I thought that between then, Melissa said I wasn't, I wasn't born yet. I, I know, but, it, it, but I thought that between then and now, at some point, I had read this material because it sounded familiar. So that's one of those deja vu things, right? Right there, guys. So I wanted to point that out before we got going. And Melissa seems to be having one of those too. Like we know this information from a different place, but neither one of us are old enough to have been alive during that time. And the book wasn't actually put, he didn't get the information until 2007. And then he had to take time to correlate it and go through it and then make a book about it. And then it got out and this guy made a video. So I don't think I've seen this before, but I know information from from here. So that's, that's weird, right? So that maybe that plays into the whole wanderer thing that you know, that's some of the memory that I have that when you're outside of this place, there's no, there's, it's not time space, it's space time, right? Or the other way around. We don't have any, there's the, no linear time. Okay. Let's go ahead and continue here. Of Errol. 
I feel that it is my duty at this time in the best interest of the citizens of Earth to reveal what I... So because I was talking, you didn't, probably didn't get to hear that. Errol, A-I-R-L, is this female alien's name, okay? So here we go. I have learned from my interaction with Errol during those six weeks on the anniversary of her death or departure 60 years ago. Although I served as a nurse in the Army Air Force, I am not a pilot or technician. Further, I did not have any direct contact with the spacecraft or other materials recovered from the crash site at that time or thereafter. To that degree, it must be taken into consideration that my understanding of the communications I had with Errol are based on my own subjective ability to interpret the meaning of the thoughts and mental images I was able to perceive. Our communication did not consist of spoken language in the conventional sense. Indeed, the body of the alien had no mouth through which to speak. Our communication was by telepathy. At first, I could not understand Errol very clearly. I could perceive images, emotions, and impressions, but it was difficult for me to express these verbally. Once Errol learned the English language, she was able to focus her thoughts more precisely using symbols and meanings of words I could understand. Learning the English language was done as a favor to me. It was more for my own benefit than hers. By the end of our interview sessions, and increasingly since then, I have become more comfortable with telepathic communication. I have become more adept at understanding Errol's thoughts as though they are my own. Somehow, her thoughts became my thoughts. Her emotions are my emotions. However, this is limited by her willingness and intention to share her own personal universe with me. She is able to be selective about what communication I am allowed to receive from her, Likewise, her experience, training, education, relationships, and purposes are uniquely her own. This is the symbol of the domain. The domain is a race or civilization of which Errol, the alien I interviewed, is an officer, pilot, and engineer serving in the domain expeditionary force. The symbol represents the origin and unlimited boundary of the known universe, united and integrated into a vast civilization under the control of the domain. Errol is currently stationed at a base in the asteroid belt, which she refers as a space station in the solar system of Earth. First and foremost, Errol is herself. Secondarily, she voluntarily serves as an officer, pilot, and engineer in the Domain Expeditionary Force. In that capacity, she has duties and responsibilities, but she is at leave to come and go as she pleases also. Please accept this material and make it known to as many people as possible. See, so right there, just that explanation that she gives would put your mind sort of at ease and say, well, they must be good people because they're not in, in forced labor and they can come and go whenever they want to, which it, we've done that here with the militia back in the, in the day when the militia would join the Continental Army when they were fighting against the British and things like that. They could leave whenever they wanted to uh, and they didn't have to stay, right? And so they would stay by choice to help out. So that makes you feel like, this entity is is good. Now, we have no way of corroborating that. That's a claim that the, that Errol just said. So we don't know if, if she is is telling the truth or not. And, and I want to point that out because as time goes on, there are markers here that that we'll get into, and I'll show you to where I'm going to go, mm, I don't believe this person is, is uh, I, you know, it could be an alien. I believe this, this is a, an alien. I don't think it's like at the time she was just channeling some CIA agent in the next room and they were just having fun. It was them who had this person, and she was doing this stuff under the the guise, uh, you know, and the control of the federal government. So uh, unlike where some people say, you know, like say the girls in the Czech Republic, I've had ex-military personnel with high ranking or high 
clearance say, I believe that they're not talking to an alien, they're talking to the CIA. Right now, I don't, I can't corroborate any of that, but what's going on here is definitely not her channeling the CIA. So this isn't some covert operation by them just to screw with her mind, because if they did that, why then would they go to all the trouble to discredit her and say that none of that happened and that it was all bullshit? So here, here we have to believe that this is an actual interview with an alien, because it would be, it would be a completely um, useless exercise for, for somebody to, to claim that this was tied back to that woman and make this whole thing up. Right. And they kind of said that about Whitley Strieber because he was a science fiction novelist that maybe he just did all that. And then I hear some people say that he came out and said he did. But then I've talked to people who've actually spoken to him and interviewed him and he hasn't said, no, that was a hoax. OK, so people have claim that he claimed it was a hoax. But I know a few people who've actually interviewed him and actually spoken to him and they've asked him, was it a hoax? And he's like, no, this is not. It was not. And OK, so. So you're always going to have naysayers that are going to try and say that. But why would this happen this way? It's, that's, you know, that's like saying, you know, well, the, the earth is flat and they don't want to change it because it's going to cost too much money to change the record. And they don't want to look stupid. They're not the ones who claimed the earth was round. So if I'm not the one who claimed the earth was round, I'm not going to look stupid if I say, whoops, we figured out that it was flat. Those guys back there with Copernicus 5,000 years ago screwed up. So it's not going to be that. And it's, just, and it's not that they had to change all the history books and it cost too much money because they just three years ago or four years ago went, oops, we had the wrong head on the T-Rex all this time. And they fixed it and changed all the history books, paid all that money to fix it. So if they would do that for that, why would they say, oh, it's bigger if the earth is flat? Right. So same thing here. Right. So anything could be made up. But I'm at this point assuming that there is an actual event happening here. Right. So let's just continue. I repeat that it is not my intention to endanger your life with the possession of this material, nor do I really expect you to believe any of it either. However, I do sense that you can appreciate the value that such knowledge may have to those who are willing and able to face the reality of it. Mankind needs to know the answers to questions which are contained in these documents. Who are we? Where did we come from? What is our purpose on Earth? Is mankind alone in the universe? If there is intelligent life elsewhere, why have they not contacted us? It is vital that people understand the devastating consequences to our spiritual and physical survival if we fail to take effective action to undo the long-standing and pervasive effects of alien intervention on Earth. Perhaps the information in these documents will serve as a stepping stone to a better future for mankind. I hope that you can be more clever, creative, and courageous in the distribution of this information than I have been. May the gods bless you and keep you. Mrs. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Senior Master Sergeant, Women's Army Air Force Medical Corps, retired. 100 Troy Town Heights, Nevin Meath County, Meath, Ireland. Uh, I didn't realize that she was in Ireland. I thought she was in Scotland. Okay. Anyway, here we go. And for those of you who are on the MP3 file, you can't see that there is a picture of her um, with a polygraph, taking a polygraph right now, a black and white photo. So obviously that was uh, probably in the 60s. They used us a lot in the 60s, and she looks older than when she would have been in 1947. I don't know the date on that picture, but I'm just going by the way the gentleman's dressed uh, in a darker suit. In the, in the 40s, uh, men were predominantly um, gray, khaki, uh, more lighter suits. And in, when we got into the 60s is when people started wearing the, the dark color, black um, and the dark blue like now. So that's just an observation. His glasses look um, circa 1960. 
her clothing. So um, it's just assuming this is somewhere in the 60s. I must always assume a very pragmatic point of view. I could not. Not quite sure why it paused right there. I think it did. I think it did that, and they're just showing you the pictures. Um, that's actually from forty-seven, right there, nineteen forty-seven, captured flying saucer. That's the one that created all the all the hoopla because right after that, they claimed that it was nothing. Right, so uh, they're not talking right here. Yeah, see, so I'm in it off the mic, so this, so they're just showing you this this stuff, so you can see the the progression and the people that were there. I forgot that it went dead on the mic right there, and I'm like, why did that mute? But it says that right there, a minute of of miscellaneous photos from the video clips and the audio. So this, some of the stuff was was there, and some of it was gathered later on, obviously, right by her more than likely. No details of a flying disc are revealed, right? And then there's the daily record. Uh, and again, the RAAF uh, captured a flying saucer on the ranch uh, in Roswell. I'm only reading this for those people who are on the MP3 file. They don't get to see these visuals. So if you guys are going, Leo, why are you saying what I'm seeing on the screen? It's because some people don't have the video. They're just listening to this in their earphones, right? <laughs> so again, this is another shot of the same paper, Roswell daily record. Um, the showing that, right? So, okay, Roswell Alien Interview Chapter 1. So now we're actually getting one. into, this is the actual book, okay? So this is the, the, the information that Matilda O'Donnell uh, McElroy gave to this person, and they put it together, and this is how it starts, okay? So they correlated it all, put it together, and um, none of this none of this is written by them. It's all It's all her stuff that they just put together for the book from how they could figure out how the order went. Of timelines, okay. My first interview with the alien, Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. By the time the alien had been returned to the base, I had already spent several hours with her. As I mentioned, Mr. Cavett told me to stay with the alien since I was the only person among us who could understand her communication. I could not understand my ability to communicate with the being. I had never before that time experienced telepathic communication with anyone. The nonverbal communication I experienced was like the understanding you might have. <clears throat> okay, yeah, Peter, sorry, I, I just saw what you said. Um, yes, tomorrow tomorrow night. What is tomorrow? Tomorrow is the third, right? My, uh, Saturday. Yes. So, okay, we'll we'll talk tomorrow night. Remind me. Get on. Get on. Harp on me. <laughs> Make sure you message me and go, dude. Get on here, right? So we'll talk tomorrow night because <clears throat> I like to hear. Uh, this is Peter Coyle. I didn't put him up on the screen, but he's. He, he's a, a buddy of mine and he's in the coalition with me. And he said, we need to talk tomorrow night. If possible, you'll be shocked. Your brother, your brother in arms, Peter, right? And so, and then it says Matilda O'Donnell is a, is a, a SOTOR name. Uh, uh, that's all that I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So um, Peter obviously has some information that I don't on this particular uh, uh, thing, event. So after I talk to Peter tomorrow, he and I will decide if this is something that we can go, public with and if so next friday when we do this show i will give you guys the report of what peter and i talk about tomorrow night so there's a little bit of uh, insight there and some exclusive stuff that we might be getting uh, just so you know peter is in ireland okay and that's where she uh, resided and so he's going to uh, naturally have a little bit more information he may have even known this person 
uh, when he was younger. It's very possible, right? I don't know that answer to that yet. But Peter, being in the coalition that I'm in, he's going to obviously have more information that is going on over there than I do. That's why I'm in America and he's in Ireland. That's how we why we do that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, and Denise says, I would love to know what Peter says. Yes, uh, so some of you guys who know me, uh, you might be able to get this information uh, off air that, that you might be able to, if it's something that we need to classify. I don't think so, but he wants to talk to me about it uh, and get the information to me instead of just blabbing it on air here, which is fine. That's a good good thing. <clears throat> so for security reasons, we'll discuss it. And if it's something that we can get out there, which is 99.999% of all things, guys, the only things that we keep back are things that might change the future or things that might harm people, that might get people hurt now. That would be the only time that we ever hold anything back from you guys, but then we feed you whatever we can when we can, which is almost everything that we hear. All right, just so you guys know. When a child or dog is trying to get you to understand something, but much, much more direct and powerful. Even though there were no words spoken or signs made, the intention of the thoughts were unmistakable to me. I realized later that although I received the thought, I did not necessarily interpret its meaning exactly. I think that the alien being was not willing to discuss technical matters due to the nature of her position as an officer and pilot with the duty to maintain the security and confidentiality required by her own unit or organization. Any soldier who is captured by the enemy in the line of duty has a responsibility to withhold vital information even in the face of... Okay, so Peter just said, for those of you who are reading the chat, you can see it, right? So Peter just said, you just answered my question. I didn't know that I knew that person. So, okay, so being the historian, Peter needed some information from me. I think I just got some. We'll continue this conversation tomorrow, Peter, for sure. Okay, so and Melissa says, Ariel was uh, with them. She was lying. I agree. I think she was. And we'll get into that. When she starts going here, you'll see that I say the same thing, right? Um, and, uh, and she says she killed her co-pilot. Now, there's some question about that because they, there was two pilots that didn't make it. Or, you know, the two pilots didn't make it. She was the, the captain of the ship. Uh, so, so and that doesn't sound far-fetched and crazy, Melissa, right? So, yeah, I believe she was lying, and you'll see that, guys. That's one of, one of the things that I want to show you as time goes. There's some stuff where you just kind of go, hmm, yeah, okay, we'll get into that. Let's go. Of interrogation or torture, of course. But in spite of that, I have always felt that the alien being was not really trying to hide anything from me. I just never got that feeling. Her communication always seemed honest and sincere to me, but I suppose you can never know for sure. I definitely feel that I shared a unique bond with the alien. It was a kind of trust or empathy that you have with a patient or a child. I think it was because the alien could understand that I was really interested in her and had no harmful intention. Nor would I allow any harm to come to her if I could prevent it. This was true too. I refer to the alien as her. Actually, the being was not sexual in any way, either physiologically or psychologically. She did have a rather strong feminine presence and demeanor. However, in terms of psychology, the being was asexual and had no internal or external reproductive organs. Her body was more like the body of a doll or robot. There were no internal organs as the body was not constructed of biological cells. It did have a kind of circuit system or electrical nervous system that ran throughout the body, but I could not understand how it worked. In stature and appearance, the body was quite short and petite, about 40 inches tall. The head was disproportionately large relative to arms, legs, and torso, which were thin. There were three fingers on each of two hands and feet, which were somewhat prehensile. 
so close to your standard um, um, gray. Now, I had heard and from people prior to this, and she hasn't even discussed this yet, but you're, she's getting at it, and she will soon, that this, this alien that she was talking to was inside of a, a, a exoskeleton. Right, so it's a, it's actually a, a like a bio robot. You'll see that they, she she describes that. So so the alien is occupying, right? Occupying her energy is occupying this avatar to be present here in this three D reality. Not unlike we are occupying this physical avatar as well. If any of you have listened to me for the last three years on talking about the law of one, you'll understand that, right? So. You, well, let's just, let's just get into that. Let's just go. The head had no operational nose or mouth or ears. I understand that a space officer does not need these as space has no atmosphere to conduct sound. Therefore, sound-related sensory organs are not built into the body, nor does the body need to consume food, hence the absence of a mouth. The eyes were quite large. I was never able to determine the exact degree of visual acuity of which the eyes were capable, but I observed that her sense of sight must have been extremely acute. I think the lens of the eyes, which were very dark and opaque, may have also been able to detect waves or particles beyond the visual spectrum of light. I suspect that this may have included the full range of the electromagnetic spectrum or more, but I don't know this for sure. When the being looked at me, her gaze seemed to penetrate right through me, as though she had x-ray vision. I found this a little embarrassing at first, until I realized she had no sexual intentions. In fact, I don't even think she ever even had the thought that I was male or female. It became very obvious after a short time with the being that her body did not require oxygen, food, or water, or any other external source of nutrition or energy. As I learned later, this being supplied her own energy, which animated and operated the body. It seemed a little bit eerie at first, but I got used to the idea. It's really a very simple body. There's not much to it compared to our own bodies. Errol explained to me that it was not mechanical, like a robot, nor was it biological. It is animated directly by her as a spiritual being. Technically, from a medical standpoint, I would not say that Errol's body could not be called alive. Her dull body is not a biological life form, with cells and so forth. It had a smooth skin or covering which was gray in color. The body was highly tolerant to changes in temperature, atmospheric conditions, and pressure. The limbs were quite frail, without musculature. In space, there is no gravity, so very little muscle strength is needed. The so, <clears throat> basically, it's a gray alien. It's a, like a doll. It's like a you know, bio-robot, an exoskeleton, something that you would animate with your energy. And then you could occupy that and move around here. Now that only becomes important if you're not from this plane of existence. If your if your existence is already past this physical body here, and you wish to come back here, you, if you're high enough in in the level of four or up in five, the fifth dimension, you could project your body here and create an avatar here. But she's not doing that. She's bringing that. And in, a, in, in getting into that body and running it well. So she's actually physically here, right? She's actually physically here. Her energy is physically here. So, but it also resides like everybody else resides in the, in the sixth dimension. So that would suggest that she's just barely fourth 
right? And and they use that. I was told by insiders that they have witnessed this person witnessed drawers lined up. And when you open the drawers in plastic wrap, in these drawers were these alien were these gray alien bodies. <clears throat> so they're really there for you to use like a suit. You just pull it out and break open the plastic like you would a um, you know a, a brand new bag of chips or something. You know, you open it up, pull it, pull the suit out and animate it. And then use it. And if you lose the suit, you just take off. So in essence, the, these people are doing like the Cylons did in Battlestar Galactica, where they're occupying. Only there it was a machine that was metal. And here it's not. It's sort of a bio uh, robot. And if anything happens to the body and that then that body dies, they just eject and their soul goes and gets recollected. And then they either jump in another body and come back or they just go about what they were doing before and not come back here. Right. So, again, this is this also takes uh, a lot of information of knowing uh, about what's going on. And a lot of the stuff I didn't hear about until just a few years ago. Right. So the the you know, where did this information come from or how did they she have this information that she talked about in 1947? Right. That that's where she got the information was from 47. I'm getting the information from guys who are telling me that they knew that either in the 90s or the 2000s. Okay. The body was used almost entirely on a spacecraft or in low or no gravity environments. Since Earth has a heavy gravity, the body was not able to walk around very well as the legs were not really suited to that purpose. The feet and hands were quite flexible and agile, however. Overnight before my first interview with the alien, the area had been transformed into a buzzing hive of activity. There were a dozen men working on setting up lights and camera equipment. A motion picture camera and microphone and tape recorder was there, also set up in the interview room. I don't know why a microphone was needed since there were no verbal communications possible with the alien. There was also a stenographer and several people busy typing on typewriters. I was informed that an expert foreign language interpreter and a code-breaking team had been flown to the base during the night. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there really quickly because I want to bring up on the screen what Peter is saying here. He says they used to use electric shock. They used to use electric shock treatment to bring in entities, mental health programs, electric shock treatment process to channel beings from other planets. See, I hadn't heard that, but I, you know, if it would have come from anybody else, I'd say, what? But since it came from Peter, I'm like, huh. Right? So we'll see. Let's let's continue here. So they brought in a team to assist with my efforts to communicate with the alien. There were also several medical personnel, specialists in various fields to examine the alien. And a professor of psychology was there to help formulate questions and interpret the answers. As I was just a nurse, I was not considered to be a qualified interpreter, even though I was the only one there who could understand anything the alien was thinking. There were many subsequent conversations between us. Each interview resulted in an exponential increase in the understanding between us, as I will discuss later on in my notes. This is the first transcript with the answers to a list of questions provided to me by the intelligence officer at the base, which I debriefed to the stenographer immediately following the interview. Official transcript of interview, top secret. Official transcript of the U.S. Army, Air Force Roswell Army Airfield. 509th Bomb Group, subject, alien interview, July 9th, 1947. 
Question, are you injured? Answer, no. Question, what medical assistance do you require? Answer, none. Question, do you need food or water or other sustenance? Answer, no. Question, do you have any special environmental needs such as air temperature, atmospheric chemical content, air pressure, or waste elimination? Answer, no, I am not a biological being. Question, does your body or spacecraft carry any germs or contamination that might be harmful to humans or other Earth life forms? Answer, no germs in space. Question, does your government know you are here? Answer, not at this time. Question, are others of your kind going to come looking for you? Answer, yes. Question. See, so they're basic questions she's allowing through. I should have prefaced that with that saying before that was wrong that she didn't take any questions. She didn't take any pertinent questions. You'll see. <laughs> what is the weapons capability of your people? Answer, very destructive. I did not understand the exact nature of the kind of arms or weapons that they might have, but I did not feel that there was any malevolent intention in her reply, just a statement of fact. Question, why did your spacecraft crash? Answer, it was struck by an electrical discharge from the atmosphere, which caused us to lose control. Now, <clears throat> I was also told, and some of you may, may know that, I was also told that, that the United States government was actually actively using electromagnetic or, or lightning, uh, um, you know, uh, to actually try and down UFOs so that it looked like an accident. So it didn't look like a weapon. I was told this, that that's what they were using and that these, these were shot down, right? But it looked like a, a bolt of lightning randomly struck the, the uh, spaceship and they crashed so that in the minds of uh, anybody that was wounded, and for us, if the, an alien race came down here and saying, you shot down with a, no, look, it was just lightning. Check your sensors. It was just lightning. It wasn't our fault. It's just they crashed and we were trying to assist. So, right, so you have that going on. So it's not as evident. And I was told that prior to even knowing that that was what this claim was. I didn't hear this until, until when I was watching this for the first time, which was about a month ago. And then I went, oh, I've heard that. I've heard that our government was shooting them down. Heard that for years. Question, why was your spacecraft in this area? Answer, investigation of burning clouds, radiation, explosions. Question, how does your spacecraft fly? Answer, it is controlled through mind, responds to thought commands. Mind or thought command are the only English language words I can think of to describe the thought. Their bodies and I think the spacecraft are connected directly to them through some kind of electrical nervous system that they control with their own thoughts. Question, how do your people communicate? That was actually pretty good, pretty astute of her. Very well educated to actually come up with that on her own considering she was supposedly just a nurse, right? Obviously people had a different educational level uh, back then than they do now. And that's true. If you look at our educational system compared to the public schools back then, um, you know, what they had to learn in the second grade to pass the second grade is what our kids take as a test uh, to graduate high school these days. I saw that when I looked at a test that my grandmother took that she still had. And I went, this is stuff that people don't learn until they're in high school. And she said, yeah, these days they don't teach anything anymore in school. Communicate with each other. Answer through mind, thought. The words mind and thought combined together are the closest English language words I can think of to describe the idea at this time. However, it is very obvious to me that they communicate directly from the mind, just as she is communicating with me. We call that telepathy. Question, do you have a written language or symbols for communication? Answer, yes. Question, what planet are you from? Answer, 
the home, birthplace world of the domain. Since I am not an astronomer, I have no way of thinking in terms of stars, galaxies, constellations, and directions in space. The impression I received was of a planet in the center of a huge cluster of galaxies. I am Melissa. I believe that Melissa said she was trying to to um, mind, you know, brain scramble her. No, I believe that she was doing that. I have heard stories about the Greys having the ability to calm you, right, with their mind, and they would calm you down so you wouldn't think that they were a threat. So it's very, very obvious to me, I agree with you, that uh, if this person really is who they are and they are an alien, and they would have that ability <coughs> to be able to Jedi mind track us humans and to calm us. So everything that she was saying, like she was saying, I got the feeling, I didn't get any feeling that there was anything malevolent or this or that. Well, that's because they would, the first thing they would do is calm you down. I'm a Reiki master teacher. I can do that. Any Reiki person, anybody that knows Reiki can do it. And if you're a Reiki master, you can do it even more. I do that all the time to people. Literally, when they, they like tell me, oh, my God, my day is you know, crazy. I'm just insane and I'm losing it. And blah, blah, blah. You know, what, what can you do for me? I literally send calming energy to them and they calm down. They calm down. So I can do that to people. I can ground you. I can center you. I can focus you. I can calm you down. So if I can do that and I'm just this lowly human, Errol, being this, you know, this person who's supposedly been around for a bazillion, gazillion, trillion years would have that ability too, because you guys can have that ability. All of us can have it, right? So it wouldn't be so hard. I mean, think about that, because literally she's kind of like, if she really is this alien and if she really is part of this, this society and everything, her talking to us humans is like us talking to a child. So, right? I mean, all right, anyway, let's go. That is to her like home or birthplace. The word domain is the closest word I can think of to describe her concept, images, and thoughts about where she is from. It could as easily be called the territory or the realm. However, I'm sure that it was not just a planet or a solar system or a cluster of stars, but an enormous number of galaxies. Question, will your government send representatives to meet with our leaders? Answer, no. Question, what are your intentions concerning Earth? Answer, preserve, protect property of the domain. Question, what have you learned about Earth governments and military installations? Okay, so let's stop that right there. To preserve and protect property of the domain. She'll get into that. The domain being basically that um, the group, the people that are trying to conquer the planet. You get or conquer the known universe. She gets into that now. And as we go on, she'll get into that. So I'm giving you some information prior to Errol uh, telling you about it. So the domain is this very large body of conquerors, okay? <clears throat> and they're going around conquering everyone. And they're actually, uh, you know, everyone always says, why would they come to the earth? What is the deal with the earth? Uh, she explains that too, that this place, because of having the asteroid belt out there, right? Because of having the asteroid belt out there, this place is basically a gas station. It's a fueling point and a, and a strategic launching point for them, she tells you this later on, to make a trek to the center of the known universe to take it over. So they can muster all their troops out way out in the outback. We're way out in the outback where nobody would suspect or even be looking for a, a cluster of, of troops to be mustered and to be uh, fueled up and then make an attack run to the center of the known universe. She'll explain that. She'll actually say that as time goes on. 
Answer, poor, small, destroyed planet. Question, why haven't your people made your existence known to the people of Earth? Answer, watch, observe, no contact. I got the impression that contact with people on Earth was not permitted, but I could not think of a word or idea that communicated the impression I got exactly. They are just observing us. Question. Have your people visited Earth previously? Answer. Periodic. Repeating observations. Question. How long have you known about Earth? Answer. Long before humans. I'm not sure if the word prehistoric would be more accurate, but it was definitely a very long period of time before human beings evolved. Question. What do you know about the history of civilization on Earth? Answer. Small interest. Attention. Small time. The answer to this question seemed very vague to me. However, I perceived that her interest in Earth history is not very strong or that she did not pay much attention to it. Or maybe, I don't know, I really didn't get an answer to the question. Right, and that becomes evident as well. She doesn't know. <clears throat> she doesn't know. They don't know much about the Earth. They're just watching the Earth. Why? Right? She claims, and she'll claim this as time goes on here, that we're a penal colony. Right? And, and why then would you be observing a penal colony, right, to see where they're going? There's, so there's something wonky there. We'll get into that, and I won't get into too much of the penal colony until we, she gets into the penal colony. Then we'll talk more about that there because I keep getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to let it catch up, all right? Question, can you describe your home world to us? Answer, place of civilization, culture, history, large planet, wealth. Resources always. Order, power, knowledge, wisdom. Two stars, three moons. Question, what is the state of development of your civilization? So so basically she's describing a utopia. We don't know whether that's true or not. However, if you're, if you're a race of people that have gotten past this stage, you would be able to sustain yourselves with renewable all everything. So it would quickly become that, right? So I can't really deny that information and say she came from, you know, a slum somewhere and now she's trying to make herself look good because if you are where she is in development, by that time you've gotten rid of things that are, you know, that are not self-sustaining. So I'm assuming that wealth, power, that kind of stuff is true because they also are trying to conquer the universe, right? So when the Romans tried to conquer the entire planet, Rome was the richest place on the earth. That's where all the money went back to, right? Answer, ancient, trillions of years, always, above all others, plan, schedule, progress, win, high goals, ideas. See, so now that, let's, let's look at that right there. Let's bring that down. What is the state of development of your civilization? Answer, ancient, trillions of years, always, above all others. Above all others, that's important. In service to self, we are above all others. That means they are the central location of the power source of this governmental body, of this movement, of this organization that she belongs to, this military that she belongs to that's trying to conquer the universe. Plan, schedule, progress, win, high goals, ideas, right? So their plan is to take over the universe, the schedule is the schedule they're on. Progress is what they need to expect to make. Win, always win. High goals and high ideals, right? So that's important to understand what all those words mean right there. Ancient trillions of years, always, meaning we've been here forever above everyone else. 
So here is where they're where she's implying they're a creator race that created the universe or they created. But if that's the case, why are they then trying to conquer it? Do you see this is why I wanted to break this down? Because there's a lot that you can learn about people by how they say things as much as what they say, when, and how. Okay? So understanding a civilization or a person's mindset, that's like walking into a library of someone's house. You can understand a lot about that person by the books they keep on their shelf. The words that you use in what order describing different things and yourself tells a lot about what you think about yourself, how you see yourself, or your civilization. That's why this is important to break down. And that's why I wanted to, ancient trillions of years always, above all, above all others, we are in charge. We are the ones. Do you see? Plan, schedule, progress, win, high goals, ideas. All right, let's continue. I use the number trillions because I am sure that the meaning was a number larger than many billions. The idea of the length of time she communicated is beyond me. It's really closer to the idea of infinity in terms of Earth years. Question, do you... <clears throat> Which, if you guys listen to me in the Law of One, is not hard to calculate that way because she doesn't understand, her being the nurse, doesn't understand, or her being the human, doesn't understand that, uh, that past, present, and future only happen in 3D reality. That's it. Once you break three, break through the 3D reality and you end up in the fourth dimension, the fifth, sixth, time is happening now. So to, to translate raw through 106 sessions, had a horrible time trying to translate numbers into our math because of how close to the speed of light we're traveling. We're moving faster than anyone else. So to try and calculate a billion years is hard and they would they would miss they wouldn't understand uh trying to do the math to get it exactly what we would understand as the timeline right so for instance raw was about to enter into the next phase going into the fifth uh, or the sixth i don't remember which and um for them they said how much longer is it before you're going to transition and uh, raw said in our perspective it's about a blink of an eye but in your perspective, it would be somewhere around 750,000 years. Do you see? So her seeing it from her perspective, trying to, to tell the human what that timeline, how long have we been around, in our perception of time, it could be trillions and trillions, hundreds of trillions of years. But in the time that everything happens all at once, in her memory, it could have been a month ago, a year ago. Although I think it is more older than that, right? But I don't think it's as old as, um, but it is possible. We Again, we don't know how much she's telling of, of the truth, right? And how much is a lie. You believe in God. Answer, we think it is. Make it continue, always. I am sure that the alien being does not understand the concept of God or worship as we do. I assume that the people in her civilization were all atheists. See, and that was a wrong, wrongful assumption. Let's, let's take a look at that. Do you believe in God? We think it is. Make it continue, always. So we think we are. I think, therefore, I am. But it is. So we think, period, not comma, 
right? She's thinking in, in short, choppy sentences. We think it is. So they're thinking that there is some sort of all-knowing, all-seeing creator of the universe. Make it continue always, right? So she does, I don't think she's saying she doesn't believe in, in God. I think there's a miscommunication here. You'll see that later uh, as to what she means by the word God, right? And you'll see that because, uh, um, what's her name, er Errol talks about that, makes a comment again about God and the, and the ideology of a supreme being. My impression was that they think very highly of themselves and are very prideful indeed. Question, what type of society do you have? Answer, order, power, future always, control, grow. These are the closest. Very telling here. Very telling, right? What type of society do you have? Order, power, future always, control, growth. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like the United States of America? Does that sound like Canada? Does that sound like England, France, Germany? Or does it sound like Nazi Germany 1938? Does that sound like communist China currently? Does that sound like communist Russia? Nazis, right? The first thing comes into your head, right? Melissa Nazi. Right. And oh, I didn't see Patricia. Welcome. I didn't see you made a comment there. And that was you were saying gods. Yeah. Plural. Right. That's that, you will hear about that, too. OK. So now she's saying literally those those words order order out of chaos. That's control. She even says the word control power. So they're all about power. They're all about future, meaning their future. So they're about control, growth, power and order. OK, so they're a conquering nation of people, not freedom, not expression, not love, not independence, not any of those things that we hold as dear in free societies. But order, power, our future always, control and growth. Those are the important things. That is a conquering nation, that is someone who is in service to self, not service to others. Otherwise, it would be about freedom and love and, and academics and people learning and uh, do whatever they want. And no, it's order, power, future always, control and growth. So you have to understand that. Oh, Tracy. Okay. Tracy says, where did this information come from? Sorry, I missed the beginning. All right. First, after this is over, go back and listen to it again. But this, this information is from Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. This, the person who's speaking is the nurse who was able to communicate with this alien. All of this, the government said, never happened just before she, uh, she uh, was euthanized herself, paid a doctor to, to end her life when she was in her 80s back in 2007. She took all the information that she had captured or stolen from the federal government, even though they made her sign a thing that said that if you tell anyone about this, we'll kill you. She was killing herself. So she gave this information to a journalist. And that journalist made this book, and this guy is reading this book, and it's, I think it's the journalist's voice. I don't know for certain. And this is all the information and documentation of that. But I explained that in the beginning, so go back and, and when we have time, and you'll see that that's, that's what this is about. So I don't know if any of this is true, I, but there's, that's why I'm doing this. Some of it because of what I know uh, about UFOs and aliens and, and, uh, and everything that's going on. I know that what some of this is what she's saying is, in fact, true. So I do know that this person that is speaking is in fact an alien, but I don't believe that their intention is to give us any, any kind of information because I believe that they are a self-serving 
controlling, evil, conquering um, nation of people. Okay. So in the, in the, if you've watched any of my shows before, which you, I don't think I've seen your name in my, in my group, I was doing the law of one. And in, in the law of one, there are two kinds of people uh, in the universe, people that are in service to others and people that are in service to self. If you're in service to others, you're a good person and you care about other people. If you're in service to self, like these people obviously are by this order, power, future, always control and growth, then you're considered evil in the universe. Okay. And that's, this is important and you'll see why that's important. All right, let's continue. Words I can use to describe the idea she had about her own society or civilization. Her emotion when see Tracy, Tracy just said for those of you, the reason I keep saying this and reading it to people, Tracy, is that people can see it in the chat, but uh, this also goes out as an MP3 file, so there's no video. They just people are listening to it on their iPhones or iPads or whatever, so they can't see your comments. So she's so Tracy says I've seen them in the sky personally one night. I have too. I have seen in my lifetime. I've seen three UFOs in my entire life then they knew that they were spaceship, but they were not. Um, and most of them, I don't believe, were actually aliens flying in them. The three that I saw, I believe that they were actually owned by the federal government in the United States. And I believe that they were, uh, well, one was a cigar shape, so it could have been the Draco, but I know that we fly those as well, right? Uh, and it was over the San Diego down there, the military base, or I was up in the mountains and I was coming down, I was going across the valley from uh, Arizona into uh, San Diego, into California. <clears throat> so I was going over the grapevine down there in the south, and I was at the top of the grapevine, and in the sky there was a cigar-shaped um, spacecraft hovering, floating, going away from me, heading out to sea. And then it, then it actually they cloaked it, just disappeared while I was looking at it. Um, so I don't believe that that was, but that could have been draconian. It could have been a, a draconian people, you know, the lizard people flying it, but I know that we humans fly them too. Either way, it was a spacecraft, for real, a real spaceship. Uh, owned by one of them or the other. All right, here we go. Communicating her response to this question became very intense, very bright and emphatic. Her thought was filled with an emotion that gave me a feeling of jubilation or joy, but it made me very nervous also. Question, are there other intelligent life forms besides yourself in the universe? Answer, everywhere. We are greatest, highest of all. See here, and here again, egotistical, arrogant attitude towards all other races. <clears throat> are there other uh, um, other other people out there in the universe? Well, yeah, everywhere. But we are the greatest and the highest of all. Do you see? So very self-centered, full of themselves. I, this is where I believe that you know, if you're a good alien, you wouldn't you wouldn't preface that. You wouldn't say that. You would say even if you thought that, you would say, oh yeah, aliens are everywhere. You're talking to a child now. There's no need for you to impress that child. Do you understand? But this alien had said, but we are the greatest of all of them. We are the highest of all. Do you understand? So they believe themselves to be in charge, but they're not. They're conquering the universe. If they were in charge and above everybody, they wouldn't have to do any of that. Do you see? But you don't know that yet because she hasn't said it. I know that because I've already gone through the whole four, uh, four hours of this um, videotape. Due to her small stature, I'm sure that she did not mean tallest or biggest. Again, her prideful nature showed through in the feeling that I received from her. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy personal note. This was the conclusion of the first interview. When the answers to the first list of questions were typed and given to the people who were waiting for them, they were very excited that I was able to get the alien to say anything. However, after they finished reading my answers, they were disappointed that I could not understand more clearly. Now they had a lot of new questions because of the answers I received to the first list of questions. An officer told me to await further instructions. I waited several hours in the adjoining office. 
I was not allowed to continue my interview with the alien. However, I was always well treated and allowed to eat and sleep and use the restroom facilities whenever I wanted. Eventually, a new list of questions was written for me to ask the alien. Well, let's stop there real quick. Yes, Julie says, she, she sounds like my mother. Patricia says AI. Well, the, the, uh, the alien itself is AI, Patricia. They, that's the, they've already discovered, they've already crossed that, that bridge. Uh, the gray alien is just a is just a bio robot that this alien is occupying with her soul or her mind. Uh, they haven't gotten really into that detail yet, so I'm not going to talk about that. But uh, they did say that literally the the alien that's sitting in front of her is being operated either remotely or actually physically, like we're inside our avatar. <clears throat> so they've already actually said that. They've already stated that. I gathered that quite a few other agents, government and military officials, had arrived at the base by this time. They told me that several other people would be in the room with me during the next interview so they could prompt me to ask for more detail during the interview. However, when I attempted to conduct the interview with these people in the room, I received no thoughts, emotions, or any other perceptible communication from the alien. Nothing. See, and this is where the alien kind of shuts down. Now that they're trying to cross-examine, or ask further questions for clarity, now she doesn't want to answer. Do you see? So when they actually start, the shit hits the fan, or they start catching on, uh, and she's got to read their mind, so she's got to know what they're thinking. So when they start thinking, like I'm thinking, I'm talking to you, and like you guys are thinking, all of a sudden she's trying to trying to back off and not give them any more information. Right? The alien just sat in a chair without moving. We all left the interview room. The intelligence agent became very agitated about this. He accused me of lying or making up the answers to the first questions. I insisted that all my answers were honest and as accurate as I could make them. Later that day, it was decided that several other people would attempt to ask questions of the alien. However, in spite of several attempts by different experts, no one else was ever able to get any communication at all from the alien. Over the next several days, a psychic research scientist from back east was flown to the base to interview the alien. Her name was Gertrude something or other. I don't remember the last name. On another occasion, an Indian clairvoyant named Krishnamurti came to the base to try to communicate with the alien. Neither one was successful at getting the alien to communicate anything. I was personally not able to communicate telepathically with either of these people either although I did not think that Mr. Krishnamurti was a very kind and intelligent gentleman. Finally, it was decided that I should be left with the alien by myself to see if I could get any answers. We'll do that on Mac. Those of you who are on the <clears throat> MP3 file, if sign came up and said, please proceed to Chapter 2, <clears throat> it's going to do that automatically just like uh, Raw did in the Law of One when they would go from, vi from video to video. It'll automatically... Um, Prompt right here and start, okay? <coughs> Pardon my phlegm. Roswell Alien Interview, Chapter 2. Chapter 2, my second interview. In the next interview, I was told to ask the alien only one question. Official transcript of interview. Top secret. Official transcript of the U.S. Army Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, 509th Bomb Group. Subject, Alien Interview. July 10th, 1947. Question. Why have you stopped communicating? Answer. No stop. Others. See, <coughs> Patricia, <coughs> she says, for those of you on MP3 file, I remember this. Again, you're the third person besides myself who has said this. Now, 
I believed, and I said this early on, I thought that I had read this book um, back some, you know, 20 years ago when I was younger. Because I haven't read this book in the last 10 years. I know that to be true. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm like, I've, I've read this. I know this. I remember all this. However, here's the thing. This woman didn't give this information to anyone until 2007. And the book didn't come out until like 2017. So you, unless you've read this book in the last four years, then you, like me, are getting this information going, wait a minute, I already know this. Right? <laughs> she says, yes, maybe you're telepathic. I, um, I've never really thought of myself as having telepathy. Um, <clears throat> some forms of empathy, and that comes with being a Reiki master. Uh, but telepathic, I mean, all us, we all, all humans are. We just don't know it. So we don't catch on to that, right? So, <clears throat> well, and then here's a good question. Good, good question, Tracy. I'm going to put this up on the screen for people to see although it gets kind of messed up from the video there. So I'll read it anyways. Why, why do they, why do they have a fear of us? Question mark. Strange since their, their technology is so advanced. That is the greatest question asked so far. Why is it that they're afraid of lowly little us for some reason, knowing or having this information? Why is that? That's the question that you want to pose <clears throat> because the truth is, <clears throat> the truth is we have free will and she knows that. And Melissa says we're stronger than them. Okay. <clears throat> we humans, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm having a lot of phlegm issues today. <clears throat> I usually do when I talk, but <clears throat> for some reason it's worse today. Probably because I just ate some cheese and a chili cheese dog earlier today. Um, so, uh, yeah, see, our, our creative force scares them. Agreed. And that's why they had to dumb us down. They're trying to dumb us down because when we hit our, our potential, we're actually very powerful as a race. You have to understand how adaptive our species is. I get this all the time from insiders. You know, um, I, I don't say whistleblowers because they're not trying to blow the whistle. They're insiders and some whistleblowers. But we're considered rock stars out there in the universe because of how diverse we are and how we make decisions and how we can do stuff like drive at 75 miles an hour on a road where there's a car going 75 miles an hour coming straight at us at a distance of two and a half to three feet apart. And we don't even, we're not phased by it. And we'll sit there and almost halfway fall asleep and drive on that same road one way coming, one way going for an hour and a half and never notice that at any one second we could end our life and the person on the other side of the road if one of us strayed just slightly. But we can do that. And we can do it so good that we don't crash that often. Right? So, so think about some of the things that we can multitask to do. And from what I understand, our ability to multitask and make many decisions, you women especially, because women have been tested to do far more, be able to, to multitask far more uh, things than men. Men can do up to like 11 or something, and women can do up to 17 or 18 multitask things on their in their brain all at once. Okay? So... So our diversity and, and having to make decisions and doing things in the, and living here is really rough. So, you know, communion, I mean, if you look at what, what Strieber said, that why is it that they were coming here? They're using our DNA as an upgrade. Do you understand that? If we're this lowly created as a slave labor force that everybody keeps talking about, why is it that everybody wants a piece of our DNA? There's something there that they're not telling us, and there's something they don't want us to know. This is why I do this. 
because I put these pieces together over the course of my lifetime because I hear one thing here and another thing there and another thing there and I file it in my little teeny pea brain that nothing gets out of. And then later on, I, I hear something and I go, you know what? Back in 1947, there was a person who claimed that. Right. Just like I talked about the one and how I heard that over and over and over for for uh, even even talking about the guys back here talking to aliens in the in the 40s and the 50s. And they would refer to the one. And that wasn't mentioned in the law of one. But I remembered that I put it in my little pea brain. <laughs> Patricia says, laugh out loud. Well, you're smart, silly. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I don't consider myself, you know, I consider myself above average, but I don't consider myself like super smart. I'm not arrogant that way. I was when I was younger because I was a lot like Sheldon. That runs in my family. I have two nephews right now that are that are like that. One who's learning his his um, uh, filters and the other one who hasn't learned filters. And he's the older, older brother. And he's just downright rude like Sheldon to everybody. Right. So. <clears throat> Okay, so let, let's continue. Again here, uh, I wanted to point that out. And then you guys had some really good comments. Uh, and there was a couple by Peter that I didn't uh, talk about and that you guys might want to read um, that he had said, right? Uh, that's funny. Julie said, I was just going to ask, do you eat cheese? Same thing happens to me. Yes, cheese creates phlegm. I have damaged vocal cords. That's why my voice sounds the way it does. Um, I had a cyst that was on there. My vocal cords were pinched together. Um, so I had a froggy voice. I sounded like this for two years. That's all I could muster. But I, through, through uh, uh, rehabilitation and uh, vocal rehabilitation, uh, at some point it gave over. It, it either went away. Uh, it dropped off. It just went away. And I was left with this voice. But because of that, my vocal cords are still thin. And when I talk too much, I, I then start having issues anyways. So my body is predetermined predis, to put phlegm there. You know, when you have a, a, a some sort of uh, injury, your body puts phlegm there, right? And then eventually it will calcify if it's a, a strong enough. Uh, but the first thing that goes in is phlegm. So anytime I eat cheese or drink anything dairy, <clears throat> I already get this going on anyway. And then if I start talking, it just builds up the second I get quiet, right? So that's funny that you said that. You're going to say, do you eat cheese? I ate some today. Ate some last night too. I had two chili cheese dogs last night. And there was there was six left over, and I had two, and my mom had two. <laughs> right, all right, let's continue here. Hidden, covered, secret fear. The alien cannot communicate with them because they were afraid of her or did not trust her. And it is clear to me that the alien is not aware that some people have secret intentions toward her and are hiding their real thoughts. I think that's what she thought, but I don't think that's the truth. I think the alien could tell. Because if you can communicate with people telepathically, first of all, if you're evolved to that point, you can read people's body language. Right? You would, you would assume that. I can read people's body language. I can tell by the way people are speaking. So if I'm just this human who's been created as a slave labor race, then why, why do I have those abilities? And this person who's, who's obviously far uh, older and moved into an energy body doesn't understand that? No, she does, and and the nurse is just um, not catching that, right? And and that also could be some of her Jedi mind trick of you have no way of reason to be threatened by me. I am your best friend. These are not the droids you're looking for. Move along, right? It is equally obvious to me that the alien does not have even a tiny bit of fear of us or anything else for that matter. See, there's the tell a little truth with many lies. I agree. She is not in any way intimidated by anything that's going on around her or any of these people or even the position that she's in. She's almost enjoying it. 
Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. I pondered the words I chose to convey the meaning of the alien's thoughts very carefully before reporting to the stenographer and the people who were waiting anxiously in the other room. Personally, I never suffered any fear or misapprehension about the alien whatsoever. I was very, very curious and excited to learn anything and everything I could about her and from her. However, like the aliens, I did not have much trust or confidence in the agents or authorities who were controlling my interviews. I had no idea what their intentions toward her might be. However, I am sure that the military officers were very, very nervous about having an alien spacecraft and pilot on their hands. At that moment, my greatest worry was how to more clearly understand the thoughts and ideas of the alien. I think that I was doing pretty well as a telepathic receiver, but not as good as a telepathic sender. I wanted desperately to figure out a better way to communicate with the alien in a way that would enable the growing legion of government officials to understand her more directly without having to rely on my interpretation of her thoughts. I did not feel very well qualified to act as an interpreter, yet I was the only person with whom the alien would communicate, so it was up to me to get the job done. I was also becoming acutely aware that this was probably the biggest news event in the history of the Earth and that I should be proud to have had any part in it. Of course, by that time the entire incident had been officially denied in the press and a cover-up of immense proportions by the military and the powers that be had already begun. However, I was beginning to feel the pressure of the responsibility for being the first person on Earth, as far as I knew, to communicate with an extraterrestrial life form. I think I know how Columbus must have felt when he discovered a new world the size of a continent on one small planet, but I was able to discover an entirely new unexplored universe. While I waited for my next instructions from my superiors, I went to my quarters under escort of several heavily armed MPs. Several other men dressed in black suits and ties accompanied me also. They were still there when I got up in the morning. After breakfast, which was brought to me in my own quarters, they escorted me back to the office at the base that was used for the interview. <coughs> so this says... Roswell, Alien Interview, Chapter 3, my third interview. Sorry for those of you on the MP3 file. I didn't know he was going to say that, so I started reading it. <laughs> I didn't think you guys were going to hear it. So this is Chapter 3, uh, for those of you who don't have the visuals to see that, that it says that. Tilda O'Donnell McElroy, Personal Note. The third interview and all subsequent interviews that I had with the alien were observed and recorded, as I mentioned above, by dozens of other people. Although they were not physically present, a special room had been constructed with a window of one-way glass through which the interview could be observed from an adjoining room without intruding on the alien. The alien had been moved into a newly constructed room and was seated in an ordinary overstuffed living room chair covered with a flowery... <coughs> Melissa, it, Melissa said, you're talking about the video that slipped out to where, yeah, they were going to destroy the body and she disappeared out of the body. Um, see, so yeah, that, that does happen later on. That's what, how this whole thing ends. And I saw that video as well. <clears throat> that video uh, leaked out. That was the one where uh, where they they started doing something to the alien, and the alien was having problems breathing uh, and that sort of stuff. And then they they went to go and 
uh, electrocute the, or, or knock her out somehow to try and trap her in the body. And she left the body. That's what you're talking about, right? I believe that's what you're talking about. I've seen that video. That video was um, uh, quickly people were trying to debunk it. And I was like, why would somebody film a video of an alien in distress and have the alien in distress be not be having problems breathing and um, go through that whole thing? What would that be? Yeah, it was a Roswell video. Yeah. So I saw that video. I know what you're talking about. And I believe that was this alien. Agreed. You guys, well, those of you who don't know that, if you haven't seen the video, I kind of just gave it, it gave you that hint, but you'll hear about that as when it gets to the point where, where the this alien leaves the body, it's because of that. They were trying to go after uh, her and trap her in the body by subduing her. And she realized it and she left the body before they could trap her there. Fabric. I'm sure that someone had been sent into town to buy a chair from the nearest available furniture store. The alien's body was about the same size as a very thin five-year-old child, so she was dwarfed by the chair. Since her body was not biological, it didn't need any food, air, or heat, and apparently she didn't sleep either. There were no eyelids or eyebrows above her eyes, so the eyes didn't close. I don't think anyone could tell whether she was sleeping or awake as long as she was sitting upright in the chair. Unless she moved her body or gestured with her hand, it would be hard to tell whether she was even alive or not unless you could perceive her thoughts. Eventually, I learned that the alien was not identified by her body, but by her personality, so to speak. She was known by her fellow aliens as Errol. This is the closest word I can use to describe the name using the English alphabet. I sensed that she preferred the feminine gender. I think we shared a natural female empathy and nurturing attitude toward life and each other. I am sure she did not feel comfortable with the combative, aggressive, domineering attitude of the male officers and agents, each of whom was more concerned with their own personal self-importance and power than with discovering the secrets of the universe. When I entered the room, she was very pleased to see me. I felt a very genuine sense of recognition, relief, and a warm feeling from her. It was like the eager excitement and unconditional platonic affection one feels from a dog or a child, yet with a calm and reserved control. I must say that I was surprised that I felt the same sort of affection for the alien being, especially since we had spent so little time with each other. I was pleased that I was able to continue my interviews with her in spite of all the attention it was getting from the stream of government and military people arriving at the base. It was very obvious that the people who wrote the next series of questions for me wanted to learn how to communicate with the alien themselves without having to go through me. Here are the answers to the new list of questions. Official transcript of interview, top secret. Official transcript of the U.S. Army Air Force Roswell Army Airfield 509th Bomb Group. Subject, alien interview, July 11th, 1947. Question, can you read or write any Earth languages? Answer, no. Question, do you understand numbers or mathematics? Answer, yes, I'm an officer, pilot, engineer. Question, can you write or draw symbols or pictures that we may be able to translate into our own language? Answer, uncertain. Question, are there any other signs or means of communication you can use to help us understand your thoughts more clearly? Answer, no. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. I was very sure that this was not true, but I understand clearly that Errol was not willing to communicate in writing or drawing or sign language. 
My feeling was that she was following orders like any soldier who had been captured, not to reveal any information that might be useful to an enemy, even under torture. She was only able and willing to reveal non-confidential or personal information or name, rank, and serial number. Official <clears throat> See, so that, that right there tells a lot. She's a nurse in the military, and she was gathering from that that this person was following orders in a military way. And, um, and you know, so obviously, so she's, as well as being there and trying, she's curious. So she's trying to find out information uh, about Earth. She's toying with them. Right. There's no reason for her to actually be there other than the gathering of information. So she's gathering information and basically not giving them any information whatsoever. Now, if everything that she claims in the future, which is going to be something that she's going to claim as we go, that we were a penal colony from the old guard and that we just happened to come with the territory and they didn't really find it necessary for them to tell us that they own us. But yet she seems to know everything about us, but yet she seems to know nothing about us. Do you see? That's a contradiction in ideologies. And, and it, you know what I mean? I know everything about you from your past. But you guys are a bunch of penal colony, but we don't know anything about you. And so that's why we're here to observe you. Not buying that. That's like saying Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because uh, Eve bit a, a fruit that gave her knowledge that she was naked. Because that's what the Bible says. I'm not buying that. It's a, that. That whole story means something completely different. We've talked about that on my show, and, and many other people have talked about that as well. Okay? So there's there's something different there going on, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> and who knows? Like Melissa said, maybe maybe while they were all sleeping, maybe that, that woman left the body and a different person came in. Right? How would you know that it's not the same person as long as they're keeping up the same facade? They could be trading personnel that is, you know, needing to know information about the earth tactically, and they're coming in and getting this information. Who knows? We don't know. Right? Or it could have just been her the whole time screwing. But, but still, to what end? To what end is the question here? All right, let's continue. Transcript of interview, top secret, official transcript of the U.S. Army Air Force Roswell Army Airfield, 509th Bomb Group. Subject, alien interview, July 11th, 1947, second session. Okay, before we start, I want to again preface this with, if you just got here, this information that you're seeing is information that um, Matilda either um, wrote down herself or like this, she actually stole this stuff. She snuck it, got copies of it, stole it, <clears throat> held on to it. They didn't know that she had it. She absconded it. She got it off the base somehow. <clears throat> and because of the Freedom of Information Act, you can go back and find this stuff now, right? It, some of it's redacted, but this is the unredacted version. She even stated that at one point that if they knew what she had, they would have come and killed her for it, just know, just having what she did not let them keep. Question, can you show us on a map of the stars which is the star of your home planet? Answer, no. This is not because she does not know the directions from Earth to her home planet. She was unwilling to reveal the location. It was also due to the fact that the star system of her home planet does not exist on any star map on Earth. It's too far away. Question, how long will it take your people to locate you here? Answer, unknown. Question, how long would it take your people to travel here to rescue you? Answer, minutes or hours. Question, 
How can we make them understand that we do not intend to harm you? Answer. Intentions are clear. See in your mind. Images. Feelings. Question. If you are not a biological entity, why do you refer to yourself as feminine? Okay, so there, again, that answers that question. She just answered the question from before. How can you make sure, how can you make them understand that we do not, uh, are, we have, that we do not intend to harm you? And then she said, intentions are clear, see in your mind, images and feelings. So, so she understands that they pose a threat to her. Whether they can actually threaten her or not is, is inconsequential. She knows that the humans are hostile. She knows what their intentions are and what they're trying to do. She can see that in their minds. And didn't I just say that before? All of a sudden, yeah, Melissa gaslighting. All of a sudden, right? So, yeah, Patricia, watch it. But you can go back and watch it after you're off work. Thank you for coming in. Pop it in like you did. Um, take a look at it after you're done. Go back and watch it from the beginning when you're off work. And then maybe next week. And then, you know, like I said, if not, then just watch it like you were doing before, whatever you can catch up. But thank you and namaste for being here. Patricia said she had to go to work. <laughs> so, but see here, then there's the contradiction already. And we're only on the third interview with this person. And, and there's no note of, wow, that's different from what they said before. So there's already a contradiction here. So there's already, like Melissa says, there's already a gaslighting going on here. Answer. I am a creator, mother, source. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. These questions only took me a few minutes to complete. I realized then that we may be in for some serious trouble if the alien was not willing to cooperate or reveal any information that the military or intelligence agencies or scientists consider to be useful to them. I was also sure that the alien was very certain of the actual intentions of the people who wrote these questions, as she could read their minds just as easily as she could read my thoughts and communicate with me telepathically. Because of these intentions, she was unwilling and unable to cooperate with any of them in any way under any circumstances. And I am equally sure that since she is not a biological life form, that there was no kind of torture or coercion that would change her mind. The end of chapter three. Roswell, chapter Alien Interview, Chapter 4, The Language Barrier. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Personal Note. After I explained what I thought were the reasons for the no answer, answer to the intelligence agents, there was a great deal of upset and turmoil. A very heated discussion took place between some of the intelligence officers, military officials, psychologists, and the language interpreters. This lasted for several hours. It was finally decided that I should be allowed to continue to interview the alien, provided I could get a satisfactory answer from her to the following question. Official transcript of interview, top secret. Official transcript of the U.S. Army Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, 509th Bomb Group, subject, alien interview, July 11, 1947, third session. Question. What assurance or proof do you require from us that will make you feel safe enough to answer our questions? Answer. Only she speaks, only she hears. Only she questions, no others. Must learn, know, understand. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. When I returned to the interview room to report the alien response to this question, I received a grim and skeptical reception from the assembled intelligence agents 
and military personnel. They could not understand what the alien meant by this. I admitted that I really couldn't understand what she meant either, but I was doing the best that I could to articulate her telepathic intentions. I told the officials that perhaps the communication problem had to do with my inability to understand the telepathic language of the alien clearly enough to be satisfactory. I was so discouraged at that point, I almost felt like giving up. And now there was even more arguments than before. I was sure I was going to be removed from my position in spite of the fact that the alien refused to communicate with anyone else or that no one else had been found who could communicate with her. Fortunately, a very clever fellow named John Newble, who was a Japanese language specialist from the Navy, had an explanation and a solution to the problem. He explained that first the problem had very little to do with the inability of the alien to communicate. It had more to do with her unwillingness to communicate with anyone other than myself. Second, in order for any clear, comprehensive communication to happen, both parties needed to understand and communicate through a common language. Words and symbols and language convey very precise concepts and meanings. He said that the Japanese people have a lot of homonyms in their language, which cause a lot of confusion in day-to-day -day communication. They solved this problem by using standard Chinese characters to write down the exact meaning of the word they are using. This clears up the matter for them. Without a defined nomenclature, communication was not possible beyond the rudimentary understanding between men and dogs or between two small children. The lack of a common vocabulary of clearly defined words that all parties can use fluently was the limiting factor in communication between all people, groups, or nations. Therefore, he suggested that there were only two choices. I had to learn to speak the language of the alien, or the alien had to learn to speak English. Factually, only one choice was possible, that I persuade Errol to learn English, and that I teach it to her with the guidance of the language specialist. No one had any objection to trying this approach, as there were no other suggestions. The language specialists suggested that I take several children's books and a basic reading primer and grammar text with me into the interview room. The plan was that I would sit next to the alien and read aloud to her from the books while pointing to the text I was reading with my finger so that she could follow along. The theory was that the alien could eventually be taught to read just as a child is taught to read by word and sound association with the written word as well as instruction in fundamental grammar. They also assumed, I think, that if the alien was intelligent enough to communicate with me telepathically and fly a spacecraft across the galaxy, that she could probably learn to speak a language as quickly as a five-year-old or faster. I returned to the interview room and proposed this idea to Errol. She did not object to learning the language, although she did not make any commitment to answer questions either. No one else had a better idea, so we went ahead. <clears throat> so I wanted to point out really quickly that uh, as we hit the end of Chapter 4, that um, them saying she should be able to learn language uh, as quickly as a five-year-old, for those of you that might sound a little odd, right? Well, why would they say that? Well, see, what you, what you need to understand is as you get older, the older you get, the harder it is for you to learn a language, a foreign language. So that's why it's always best to learn foreign languages when you're young, because you learn it a lot quicker. So learning a foreign language or learning English as quickly as a five-year-old is very quickly compared to 
someone who's learning English as a 25-year-old, 35-year-old, 45-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old, right? So that's what they were saying there. I think maybe we'll stop right here at the end of chapter four going into chapter five because they did go an hour and a half, but I wanted to go a little bit long because I spend, you know, that first 15, 20 minutes explaining what's going on. So I think we'll I think we'll stop right here at the end of chapter four and and when I'll write that down at 54 minutes and 15 seconds into the video at the end of chapter four, and we'll pick it up there next week. So that's kind of given us some of the juiciness of what's going on, right? Already. And I believe that um, just like what she's kind of gleaning and what you guys out there in the chat are kind of uh, leaning towards as well, that it's obvious that she's being very um, one-sided with her information gathering um, and her uh, information giving or forthcoming or the lack thereof. Uh, and she's being very reserved as military personnel. And, uh, you know, Melissa made the comment, maybe that she's a slave. Uh, she might be a slave. She might be being watched. I mean, if you think about the way we run things, when when our we say we have that particular society uh, and our military personnel in those particular societies, everybody's watched. You always say, oh, you're, there's a, everybody's watching everybody, informing on everybody, right? <clears throat> so, right, yes, that's what I'm saying. It's 5.30 5 p.m. I started at 4, uh, so I've been going for an hour and a half. Uh, and was in usually I just do an hour. So yeah, so Peter's put the time there. So right because he had, he made a comment, but it came through at this time, and nothing because it was just him clicking back in, um, which I thought was funny, right? Okay, so so hold on, let me put this up on the screen. Right. So I um, I still don't get if they are so involved and smart, why the alien would need to learn English, right? Good question, right? There's a lot of questions like that. That's why I decided I wanted to do this, <clears throat> right? <laughs> and Julie says, please don't go. I can't take any more Andy Griffith. That's hilarious. So I agree with you. There's a lot of questions. If, if they are so much better than we are, why is it that she doesn't know English? So they obviously haven't been studying us at all. So that kind of could play into the fact that she claims we are a penal colony and they didn't really pay much attention to us. Or it could be that they have a prime directive and that we're a third uh, dimensional uh, um, people learning and that they're, according to the laws of one, they're not supposed to interfere. And she knows she doesn't, or she doesn't know that we know anything about the law of one. So she doesn't believe that or think that we as a species know anything about what's going on in the universe period. So she can feed us anything that she wants. And it's, that's a great question that you ask now, because as we go forward in time, you're going you're gonna to kind of glean that question even more and more about stuff. Why is it that, you know, that God needs a starship? Right? You're going to be Captain Kirk a lot. I'm sorry, why is it that God needs a starship? You're, so if these people are so much more powerful than we are, so much more better than we are, right? Galactic Federation, lawbreaker, right? <laughs> well, you know, if you look at what she says, and you'll see this as we go, um, it, it does make sense that we are some sort of penal colony. I did, I did the, I think I told you guys this last time, uh, about 10 years ago, I sat down with a bunch of people and said, let's write down all the possibilities, pros and cons, and what we know in history of what we could, how we could have gotten here as a race of people. And literally wrote down everything, you know, evolution, the whole nines, accidental, 
you know, uh, God's plan, uh, alien races wanting to make us slave labor to, you know, create us so that we'll uh, work for them, all of that stuff. We created ourselves. Uh, no one created us. It was just a, the way the primordial ooze happened, and now we're conscious. But that doesn't mean squat and be, you know, the atheist version of that, that when I die, there's nothing left. And we, everything we could come up with. And then we started crossing off stuff that didn't work. Doesn't work, and there's no proof of that, right? Evolution, there is no, still no, is no uh, link between us and the missing link. There is no link there. So something happened in between. Is that when we were created and somebody came here and used the hominids that were here and created the human race? Very possible. But then, you know, you have that Bible, you know, the God gene, right, that, that uh, allowed us to speak, that allowed us to have the, the opposable thumbs. Right. So we don't know. Was that it? Was that aliens that did that? Well, if that's the case, here's the thing. Here's the problem with that theory. Right. Well, they, they made us a slave labor race to mine gold because it's the most precious thing. We have more gold on this planet even now than we have anything else. Gold's everywhere. We have so much freaking gold that every and, and diamonds and all these things that they claim are precious. We have more of those in every jewelry shop. And then you go to any mall, there's 40 jewelry shops. Right. That stuff sitting in pawn shops. This stuff's everywhere. We have so much gold. We have an alcohol where they put gold flakes in it called gold schlager. And that you drink this alcohol and there's gold floating around and you're, you're consuming it. That's how much gold we have. So we have so much gold that it's just everywhere. We have so many diamonds that's just everywhere. So if we were a slave labor race to mine these things, first of all, they are the things that we call precious. But we, we have we, if they took as much as they wanted, they left. Why would they leave? If this is so precious in the universe, why are we still not mining the shit like for them? Like, for instance, all the Stargate SG-1 uh, television programs. They were mining Naquita all over the place and it was still going on. They didn't leave and not have people mine Naquita. They got kicked off the planet by a revolution. And then they tried to destroy uh, Earth, but they buried the Stargate so they couldn't get anything to come through to destroy the planet. Right? That was the theory of that, of that television show. And now we've evolved to the point where we're reaching out and we realize they're just street thugs. Right? And that's why Colonel O'Neill was, was, so, uh, was so antagonistic when, before he became General O'Neill. Uh, and someone asked, you know, should you antagonize them like that? And he says, yeah, that's what I do. He didn't see them as above us. He saw them as as, as he would see the Germans or the, or the Russians. He saw them as thugs who were power hungry. That's all they were. So in his mind, they were, look, they're just, they're just bugs, they're snakes that are living inside of people and they take over their consciousness. They're, they're, no, they're no different than you and me. They die just like we do. Right. And that was his attitude. So he was never afraid of them as if they were gods. He never took that standpoint ever. Right. And so that was how that actually made that universe work was that he, the driving force that did never wavered and everybody would follow the Colonel to their deaths. And eventually they started to see his point. And so then everybody started to understand these guys were just bad guys that needed to get taken care of like any other bad guy trying to take over earth. Right. So, <clears throat> So when you look at these at these guys, that's a great question of, of what they're, if they're so malevolent. They're not. They're not. Once you're in a third dimensional body, you're no different than you, me, and anybody else. You have to uh, abide by the laws that are set down by the universe in this place. That's why they come in with a parachute like the Cylons did. They come in, but they don't really come in because they don't want to get killed. They're cowards. 
So they come in a bio robot that they can eject out of and go back and get another one. That's exactly the way the Cylons work. Right. And then when all of that ended and they could actually die, the Cylons changed their tune. Right. The whole thing. That was it. We can't just have our, oh, my, we're dying like they are. We're being winked out of existence. But the humans believed there was an afterlife. But the Cylons didn't. So it became precious to them. Their immortal soul became precious to them. And they didn't know where it went. Right. So that, the whole thing's crazy. Right. So that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, so I, I kind of tend to you know, want to delve into it more. Okay, so I'm not going to continue because otherwise I'm giving away the whole thing and why tune back in. So if you guys like it, let me know, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll be back uh, every week to do this until we're done with this whole chapter and then we'll move on to something else for the Friday night show. Um, but I just thought this was great. As soon as I saw this thing, I was like, yeah, man, we need to we need to talk about this because there's some shit in here that is just lies. <laughs> and I believe that. And I think there's some stuff in here that is truths, right? So, um, but I, I want to get that out to you guys and get your opinions and questions. All right, guys. Namaste. Have a great day. I love you guys. Share this out. Uh, tune in next Friday at 4 p.m. West Coast America time. We'll be doing it at the same time that I did the Law of One until we're done with Alien Interview. And then I'll have other things to roll out for you. And uh, and, and I might start doing the stuff from the girls in the Czech Republic where they're uh, interviewing Oli from the 12th Dimension and have been doing that since the 90s. They're still sending me stuff. I just haven't translated it and put it on air. So I might do that and work up a bunch of that stuff as well. We'll see what happens after this. I may stay on the alien thing. We may, who knows where I'm going to go with the, with it. We'll figure that out for right now. This is what we're going to do. So tell your friends, tell people that, that man, this guy's got this thing. He's talking about the alien interview from 1947 Roswell that the government claimed never happened. Uh, and then I'm going to talk to uh, Peter tomorrow night when we have time and find out if there's other information that we might want to divulge to you guys that he's got in his mind. And I actually answered one question for him uh, already. And that's that's good that I can help him there. But I'll, I'll, we'll figure out what else uh, Peter might be able to glean from his memory and his past. Um, and I'll help him uh, get through that. We'll, I'll guide him with that. We'll see where we go with that. Uh, so next Friday, I may or may not have some more information for you guys from Peter Coyle from Ireland. Namaste. I love you guys. And I'll see you guys. Um, yeah, I know. I'm going to miss the law of one, too. We're still talking spiritual stuff, though, that has to do with the law of one. And I, and I believe that, um, you know, I have our, our next um, um, webinar they were putting together. We were going to do zero point energy. We pulled back on that when we realized that zero point spirituality and what we were trying to get across and zero point energy, what we were trying to get across was going to be basically the same thing. So we changed that. And what we're going to talk about is um, it's going to be called is the universe in your way or no is reality in your way so we're going to start talking about reality on this webinar it's going to be a shorter webinar uh, we're probably going to do about three or four hours and have uh, four to six speakers only so it's going to be a little bit smaller uh and and we're going to talk about um um reality and how we perceive it and how much of this is perception that we think is reality how much is programmed that we think is reality and how much is actually reality uh, and how to interpret that. So we're, we're kind of coming at um, personal spiritualism from a, a non-religious, non-spiritual standpoint uh, in the beginning. So we're backing way up to the beginning of that. And then we're going to come forward through that. So the webinars will start to build past that. Or we may just change the subjects every month or something crazier. Uh, so the webinars are going to be more, I think, though, on a spiritual level uh, and not like alien stuff. But definitely I will be doing this here and then even after this. If I'm not and I'm doing something else that's spiritual on the Friday, I will be doing other things like this uh, alien stuff on maybe a Wednesday or something. We'll see how time goes and how things go um, because everybody's wanting to get an interview in too. 
and I can't do all the stuff that, that I was doing before, five, six shows a week, plus webinars. I, my mother, I'm her caregiver. She has Alzheimer's, and I can't leave her. Like now I've been gone an hour and 45 minutes. I'm in my office with the door closed. I mean, we're in the same building, the same house, but um, you know, she's out there. I could hear her. She was doing dishes a minute ago, but I can't leave her by herself. She'll get the notion to walk out the front door or something, right? So I can't stay away for a long period of time. And my body won't take it either because I have, I have issues with my legs. Uh, if you've ever or heard those stories, you understand that. So for me to sit in this chair and do this for this for a long period of time does damage to my body and it takes me days to recover from it. So I've backed way off. And I, that's why I was only doing one show a week, one webinar a month uh, or every other month. Uh, and now I'm ramping up just a bit, um, but I'm slowing down the amount of webinars, right? So, okay. All right, Peter. Peter said he gave me the time. He said 3.30 a.m. His time would be a perfect time to talk. All right. So I'll hook you up then tomorrow, Pete, and um, we'll, have a, we'll have a conversation and, and hammer some few things out. All right, guys. Namaste. I love you guys. Like I said, I'll see you next Friday. Um, share this out to anybody you think might want to hear about this alien stuff because, like I said, this has just come out, but a lot of us are remembering it. So is this is this part of that whole continuum thing of us recycling over and over and over again? I don't know. But somehow we're connected. Some of us are, are in, uh, hooked into this thing. And we have a vested memory in this. What is that about? I want to discover that, too, because I thought it was just me. And now I, there's three of us that I'm aware of right here. Peter, too. Four of us that I'm aware of that have prior knowledge to something that was did not exist. How is that? So we're going to go through that, too, as we uh, hammer this out and listen to this and go forward. I want you guys who uh, uh, are getting these memories to continue to put them in the chat so we can talk about them, okay? Uh, because uh, we may end up doing a show where we do that, right? And just talk about that. So uh, we'll see, right? We might do an interlude in, or do another day, a special day. Now, getting to that really quickly, for those of you who are still here, I should have done this in the beginning as well. Um, tomorrow morning, which is my Saturday morning at 10 a.m. West Coast America time, uh, we, I will be doing live and producing a show. It will not be, it'll be shared to Orion Rising, but I won't be going live there. I'm going live on Ancient Aliens Worldwide, the group on Facebook and here on, uh, you, on YouTube, uh, live at 10 a.m. tomorrow for Ancient Aliens. I'll be producing the show for Ancient Aliens uh, Worldwide, and we're going to have the prehistory guys on. So you guys want to take a look at that. If you don't know what that is, you can go to my, first, my personal page. Uh, and you can see I put the, the poster up there, the, the meme up there that Ancient Aliens Worldwide created for the show tomorrow. Uh, these guys have their own podcast. They have their own uh, show. And they're coming on Ancient Aliens Worldwide. We're going to be talking about uh, all this uh, history, the, the prehistory guys, because uh, we all know the key to our future is our history. We all know that. Even the alien hunters know that we have to find our past because that's where it all lies. And the information is there for us in the past to show what happened to us and who we are uh, as a race of people. So we have the prehistory guys on tomorrow. Ancient Aliens Worldwide, the group on uh, Facebook and uh, here on Orion Rising, the podcast on um, on YouTube. And, of course, if you're listening on an MP3 file pod podcast, we are available everywhere that you listen to a podcast on the planet. And if it's not there, contact me and we'll get you the, the RSS key. Or is that what it is? Or RSS, RRRS, whatever it is. We'll get you the link and uh, you can get that from me. Uh, if you go to uh, podbean.com, Orion Rising, slash Orion Rising, or I think it's orionrising.podbean.com. 
just go to podbean.com, look for Orion Rising, and my RSS number link is there. So if you guys uh, want to have it on an M on an MP3 file broadcast somewhere that it's not already up and you have access to a computer, you can go there and grab it and put it there, and that way you don't have to go there online all the time and listen to it. But I'm everywhere, uh, iTunes, um, iHeartRadio, uh, the whole nine, Spreaker, the whole nines. I'm everywhere on the planet. So uh, places I don't even know about anymore uh, where it pops up. And I'm like, I have no idea how that got there. All right, guys. So um, uh, like I said, um, namaste. I love you guys. And I will see you guys next week. If not, I'll see you tomorrow in the chat, right? Uh, if you're going to watch that show where we have the prehistory guys on there, uh, Mandy's going to be doing the interviewing and I'm going to be just producing for that. Uh, you guys have a great night. Have a great weekend. If you're in America, happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Uh, even though the true Independence Day was Juneteenth, June 19th, I think that's a great idea. And I think we Americans ought to celebrate June 19th as uh, an Independence Day because that was when we all truly became free, or at least on paper, we became free. Everyone was freed here in the United States. Uh, so that should truly be our independence. Um, but the other one was independence from tyranny. Uh, it's, so it's the same, really. Right? Instead of the king, the, 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 the last slaves in Texas uh, were told by the American government, hey, you guys are free. You've been free for a couple years now, um, but you guys didn't know it. So you're, you're free. So that was when everybody truly became free in the United States. Uh, but then, you know, it's taken until now. And some people claim they're still not free. So we still have a lot of work to do. We're not perfect, but we're getting there. Right. All right. Namaste. I love you guys. Have a great weekend. If I don't see you tomorrow, I'll see you next Friday. If I don't see you next Friday, then well, I'll see you when I see you. Have a great life.